0: From Chris Howell Communications, this is Principles for Success, the Chris Howell Podcast. Success is something we all want to attain in the various areas of our lives, but it can be challenging. So in this podcast, Chris aims to have conversations with those who have achieved a level of success and hopes that principles they share will help you to remove the roadblocks and move you to victory, whether it's relationships, business, or any other area of life. Are you ready for success? Here we go. Thank you, Joy, and thank you for listening to this week's podcast. In this episode, we're bringing to you an award-winning movie producer who also writes and directs. And by the way, he's self-taught in all of these areas. Michael Brown has an amazing story of the grit and determination that it takes to go after your dream. Now, this one is full of principles for success, but to name a few that he shares, it's Have Faith in God. Believe in yourself and be willing to put in the work to accomplish your goals. You won't believe the work that Michael put in to accomplish his goal of becoming a film director and writer. It's an amazing story. Stick around, take a listen to it, and email me and let me know what you thought of this one. Email me at chris at chrishowlonline.com. That's chris at chrishowlonline.com. Until then, let's hear more from Michael. Michael, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Michael, let's start this off by first of all talking about who exactly is Michael Brown, also known as M Legend.
1: <laughs> well, you know, when I've, I uh, filmmakers, we always have a problem with the writer and the director, <laughs> and since I'm both, I wanted to separate the uh, the two. So Michael Brown is the writer. And M Legend is the director, and they seem never to get along. <laughs> Michael thinks that M Legend knows nothing about what he's doing, so he has to change all of his writing. And <clears throat> M Legend, Michael gets upset with M Legend for not putting on screen what he writes. So it's kind of a funny thing that people know about me. They know that there's two different people inside one body.
0: Okay. So today we may very well be talking to both. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. <laughs> depending, depending on what the on what question is. is. Huh? Yes. Yes. <laughs> As we get into this, man, I guess first and foremost, I wanted to talk with you because I was so excited and impressed to read your story, to learn that you are a self-taught writer, producer, and director. You spent about two years in the Dallas Public Library going through everything you could possibly get your hands on to learn this industry. Why was it so important for you to get into this industry? You know what, that's funny.
1: It wasn't by, it it was by fate. I had went, I I had saw, Uh, Lean on Me. And this was like five years previous to me. I was working in the landscape business and uh, docks and and different things. And uh, and when I remember seeing Lean on Me and we sat in that theater over on Cocker Hill in Illinois. It was a little small theater. Everybody sat there for three hours watching the same movie over and over again. And we just spent the whole day laughing. And I remember Listening to everybody clap, laugh, cry, yell, get angry at the same time, and I remember saying, "This is what I wanted to do," and I didn't know how to do it. But the man upstairs heard what I was requesting, and so when I got to my job, I got laid off, <clears throat> and I said, "I want to, I want to tell stories for a living." And so, me and my business partner Eric King uh, started a company together, Poor Child Films, and we did a, we tried to do a, a feature film, and it just did not work. We spent, we lost our 401k and and so I said, you know what, I really want to do this so I want to learn the craft. I was bit. And so that prompted me to go to the library and really really start learning this craft and and trying to figure out the craft. I'm still learning. Um, I remember I'd sit at a table like this and I'd get all the books and Dallas Library has a huge section on just film and writing and I would take the whole section and put it on my desk, and I'd have books stacked all the way up to above my head, and you couldn't even see me, and uh, and on this side, if I finished the book, I would put a book here, the librarian would put it up, but if it was over here, they wouldn't touch it, and this was like my little private office. They would leave everything on the desk and everything. I'd come in every morning at
0: eight o'clock, and I wouldn't leave till eight o'clock that evening. You know, I gotta tell you, I'm just so fascinated by your story, because not again, not only did you take the time to go to the library, but when you went to the library, as you stated, you put a system in place. Mm-hmm. You didn't just say, I'm gonna go and get one of two books, read those books, once I finish those books, right. I'll get some more. You took everything they had, stacked it up, because you knew that, hey, I do not want anybody else to get their hands on this stuff. Well, I,
1: I wish I could <laughs> take credit for that. I just didn't know. And I thought that, you know what, I wanted to make sure I read every book. And if I, if I took them off the shelf one or two at a time, I didn't want to reread them because I was trying to learn so much information in a small period of time. Yeah. It's so funny. Uh, I used to go home from the library, and me and my cousin, all we ate was Grandy Biscuits, you know, because yeah. he was unemployed and I was unemployed. And then we would play basketball all night and stay up all night watching, uh, I don't know if I can, Heaven is a Playground. Yeah. And uh, uh, we'd just watch basketball movies. So, mm-hmm. basketball and film was everything that I was saturated in. And so when I would be on the basketball court, it would be like looking through a film lens. Mm -hmm. And so everything was visual to me. And so when I would go back to, so it was a way of, of releasing everything that I read and not getting so bogged down because something else was taking a place where that could manifest and and start to saturate and, and into my into my brain.
0: So why didn't you say, hey, I'm going to go and take some classes at a community college or somewhere and really learn this, I'm, as opposed to being going to self-talk? Right? Because I looked
1: at it and I was 35 years old and I was like, I'm not going back to school at 35. Yeah. Um, I, I just felt like. I didn't want to spend that money getting a student loan debt at that and, and, and not know. And everybody was saying, this is a tough career. This is tough. This is tough. This is mm-hmm. tough. And so my <laughs> the next best thing for me, and it's just probably, maybe out of ignorance, not knowing it's just saying, hey, oh, OK, let me do it like this, yeah. because I've always been a, a student of uh, learning. Yes. And so I had a I told this story all the time my mom was gonna when i was younger i used to my imagination was like dexter it was just out of control and i used to sit in church and if there was a plant sitting in the corner i'd have a two-hour conversation with the plant Mm -hmm. and people start to think i was crazy and so she was going to put me in the Terrell state hospital and i had my eighth grade teacher miss epps she came to me and she said mr brown i want you to write down everything you're thinking and she handed me a notepad and I would write down everything and that kind of calmed me down just a smidgen Mm -hmm. but my energy imagination was still really really high so she took me to the library and she says anything you want to learn anything any adventure you want to take it's right here Mm -hmm. and she handed me Mark Twain and that like settled me down and then from then on I realized there was not only just entertainment books there was how-to books Mm And so anything that I wanted to do, I'd just go to the library and read it. Yeah. Like now you just Google
0: it and it's there, but yeah. that's kind of the, the process for me. Man. So was there a time though, within this two year span, like you said, you and your cousin, you're just eating Grandy's biscuits, playing basketball. You don't have any gainful employment at this point. Was there a point to said, you know what? I'm spending this time, I'm doing this, but this may not really become a come to reality for me. <sighs>
1: Not, not really, because you, you have a. We, you know, I had. He became an angel for me, because he actually went and got a job, and he knew how passionate I was about this business or learning this craft. And he he kind of said, "Okay, you go do this, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up the slack." Okay. And and he kind of picked up the slack for me. And I, I would go work on sets. Now I would work on sets and and uh, sh- uh, use my camera. I'd loan my camera out. Mm-hmm. I'd go give plasma. I gave plasma for ten years. Man. You know, just trying to, just yeah. trying to survive in the in the industry. I mean, it wasn't like we were just sitting around. We would play pickup games, and you know, pickup games. You yeah. you, you you say, hey, I got five dollars, and if we win, I mean, it, it was it was everything. I learned to get really good at dominoes. Yeah, because <laughs> we would go to the Cliff Club, and there would be a domino game, and that's that was that was a way of keeping. Yeah. Uh, enough money to stay above the water,
0: and you had to do this because, again, at this point, you you didn't want to go out and get a full time job because you needed this time to dedicate to going to the library and learning this craft. In a sense, yes, it was it was
1: it was when you, it's, it's, it was almost like a college for me. Yeah, yeah. it was. I realized this is exactly where I, where I wanted to be. When you get bit by that bug, you're going, "Oh my god, this is it." when you find that passion everybody talks about what is your calling what is your passion you know it because it slaps you in the face and there's nothing else that, that can deter you from that yeah. we literally watch movies all night long and we will watch the same movie so then now i'm watching not only i'm watching cuts and clips and takes of yeah. everything not knowing that that's that's god's way of planting that seed into my head yeah. so now moving forward 10 years and getting into the business I used to buy a DVD player every other week because I would put a DVD in and I would let it play all day, all night, and let it just, while I slept, I wanted everything to be saturated into my brain. So when I'm on a set, I don't know how I did it, but because I have the knowledge, I always treated it like the matrix. It's there. Yeah. I just got to recall it.
0: Man. I want to talk about the support system that you and your cousin set up, though, man, because that's something that most folks who are trying to achieve something, they typically don't have that. Your (laughs) cousin stepped in and said, hey, man, I'm going to go out and get a job. You continue to study, learn the craft, and we'll build this thing together. Talk about what that made you feel like to have someone to step into you and to believe in you like that. Well,
1: my cousin, you know, I, I was working, it was my cousin. My business partner, Eric King, I worked at Pepsi. We worked at Pepsi together. That's how we met. And I mm-hmm. asked him, let's start. I, what He he funded my first film, which was with Milkshake Films. We did a film called Against the Grain, which was just a little hood film. Didn't know anything about filmmaking. I met him at a barber shop. He had three pages. And he says, oh, you're a writer. Because at that time, I was writing books. Mm-hmm. And he says, Write, you ought to turn this into a movie. And I said, what? And so I took these three pages. We turned it into a full. He said, you ought to direct it and we hired some stage actors, and we went out and shot it. It took us like two years to shoot it. But that's what really bit me. And so when I met Eric at work, Eric was, um, he said, yeah, him and his wife backed the film. And um, so when that film did what it was supposed to do, we sold a a bunch of copies on the streets, and I can't believe that film sold. (laughs) (laughs) So that film was, it was all over the place. Yeah. it was like Master P on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but when we did that and Eric believed in me and we formed our own company, because I didn't want to do slapstick comedy. Yeah. I, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do something more with social issues and social. And so he, he really said, Michael, you, there was one day at Pepsi. I would, we would work 13 hours a day and then I'd go home and I still had to prepare for the movie. I'd have mm-hmm. to write and I'd have to do all that. And, and I want to back up a little bit me and Eric had an agreement I told Eric told me and I told Eric I said listen the moment that I can't direct the moment that I can't produce and the moment that I can't write just pull my collar mm. and he says I will and that made me work even harder because yeah. I didn't want him to pull my collar because yeah, you knew that you would yes yeah. and so he was a big influence Eric told me I I, I was sick uh because I was working too many hours and I wasn't wasn't getting any sleep. And I went to the doctor and the doctor says, you're about to die. You're gonna have to let the filmmaking go or you're gonna have to let Pepsi go? Mm-hmm. And Eric said, you do the film and I'll carry everything else along yeah. with my cousin. I was staying with him at the time. Mm-hmm. So it was a combination of those two. And I've had so many angel investors. I remember my, my mentor, uh, Doc Hill, he used to come over every weekend give me uh, books to read. Everybody would give me books to read. I mean, I had a full classroom because everybody would bring me a book yeah. or a movie or a CD or something about filmmaking. And it would be $100 in each page of the book. I had another great mentor, David Pinkston, he would he would come over and he would buy me books or he'd buy a whole stack of CDs and say, I need you to watch these on cinematography, on directing, on editing, but each CD would have $100 in it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, I had a lot of angels around me. Yeah. And then it, I, uh, the apartment that I stayed in, moving forward a little bit, I used to walk at four o'clock in the morning to the bus stop to go and look at a location or to do something. And the crackheads and the the, the hood, the bums, or the homeless people, they would always be like, hey, big man, moving man. Yeah. Man, we got you back out here. Don't worry about nothing. Ain't nobody gonna mess with you. So God man. always had a plan. Man. You know, and then moving forward to now, getting to where you're standing on stage and and you can't and you can't realize that you know my producers always tell me you don't get excited about winning awards. I remember sitting on the bus. I had a had a whole laptop that was that thick, mm-hmm. and it, the, it was all torn apart. And I used to have to hold it like this on the bus and write. Yes. And so one day a lady asked me. She says, "I always see you writing on here. What do you do?" I said, I, "In my mind, I'm saying I'm a film producer." Mm-hmm. But I look past my computer, through my computer, and I see my shoes have holes in them. Mm. I said, I don't do anything, I just write. Mm. Because I couldn't even tell her. Yeah. But one day, I had a mm. movie that I gave her, and she came back every day and she got a movie from me. She said, I wanna give this to somebody out there. We did a movie on AIDS, and she said, this is the most powerful thing I've ever seen, and I'm gonna be your sole distributor. And yeah. she would come and get them and just hand them out to everybody she met.
0: Yeah. So, It is a journey and it's a process. Yeah, but like you said, the Lord has given you a lot of angels to come alongside Mm -hmm. you along this way. Just hearing your story, uh, it reminds me of uh, something a wise man once told me is that I will prepare and someday my chance will come. Mm -hmm. And your chance has come. And uh, you have not only done a number of successful short films, you're now working on your fourth feature film? Third. Third feature Mm -hmm. film. Uh, Your first feature film won a number of awards. How many Mm -hmm. awards exactly? I think like 19 Atlanta 19 Skeet awards. Yes. Yeah.
1: I, no, wait a oh, minute.
0: Man. Look, look, look. I'm the only one in my family that works. Please, please. If you take me to jail, we'll lose everything. I'm going to get us out of this. I'll get us out of this. See, it's your pride. It's your pride. Yeah. And this is only 10 years in the game. Right, right. And, and as I looked right. at some of your films, that you were, your feature films, I mean, you have developed some great relationships with folks out of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hollywood actors are in your projects. How did you develop these relationships here in Dallas? Well,
1: you know, it started out with two good friends, uh, Khadija Kareem and Sharice uh, Henry Chassie. I had walked away from the business in 2008 just was frustrated. I did try to do a feature film and it just kind of flopped and I felt like I I let everybody down and I just kind of walked away. And I just started to write, maybe like six months into it. I changed my number, I turned everything off. I didn't mm-hmm. want to have any contact. And Cherise had sent me a script and she says, I'd like for you to direct my short film. And I was just coming back around. I had started talking to the team about doing a feature film. But if I did another feature film, I wanted to have real name talent in it, and I wanted to take it to the next level. So we actually reached out to Lorenz Tate's agent and um, and I would reach out to Sharon Stone and Ercole and they all were, were very interested in the work. But we didn't have a direct connection to them so when you get to those gatekeepers they kind of mm-hmm. keep you away from mm-hmm. from the talent so khadijah had some good friends sean baker from living single and victor uh, williams from uh, king of queens and mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, and then Charisse knew karen melina white and so we got in they all wanted to do the project we all we all came in, and that kind of started the the process of working with the next level talent. And then just through film festivals, meeting people. Mm-hmm. And and then the word kind of speaks for itself at yeah. the end of the day. Yeah, so
0: once you have a successful project, it's a lot easier to be able to go and tap somebody and say, hey, this is what we've done before.
1: And I don't even know if it's successful. I think you have to have something that people are or can relate to or connect with. Okay. You know, uh, the previous film that I did before that was... Uh, 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 Arthur Autumn and the Violin, which I work with, a a known talent here that's local, was uh, Matt Greer. He had did No Country for Old Men. He had did uh, uh, Mad Money, And, and so working with somebody of that caliber and putting out a product that when people look at, they go, okay, he can handle talent, he can handle And so then everybody else starts opening the doors for everybody else.
0: Okay. You said something a moment ago that I want to come back to. You talked about the fact that you had actually walked away from the business. Now you've come back into it and had a lot of great success. So to that person who's now been working at something for a number of years and they're thinking the very thing, this is not going to happen for me. I may as well just hang it up. What would you say to that person? (laughs)
1: <laughs> you know, it's it, it is tough. It is a tough business. You know, I tell people I, I have a joke that I tell people that I talk to. I said, "Quit comes and clocks in every day. Mm-hmm. He wants to clock in every day at my door." I tell him, "I said, look here, quit. I don't have any work today. You come back tomorrow. There might be some work, but yeah. you know." And we have an ongoing chat of my imagination. He's like, "Well, I can't feed my family. I'm like, I just don't have any work today. Come back tomorrow. Yes, it might be some work. So it's it really is about." fighting through the tough times and, yeah. and and sometimes you do walk away and sometimes you have to reset refocus but walking away and quitting is two different things mm-hmm. and you can walk away to reset but if you quit then you, you, you're you saying I'm never doing this again Yeah. and I realized I didn't quit I just walked away Man. to reset All and right. then once I reset and I, I, I reset with something I was like you know what I don't want to do it at the level I was doing it at Cause I read a book uh, coming back, and it says black men only make short films, mm. and I was like, "Wow, I've made ten short films. I haven't made a feature. Why haven't I made a feature?" Mm-hmm. And it wasn't because finance, because nobody ever has finance. Mm-hmm. So after that, I realized, you know what? I'm gonna make features, and I get offers all the time to make short films now, yeah. but I'm like, I gotta make feature. I want to make. I want to make as many features as I did short films. I mean. Mm-hmm. Made- 13 short films. Okay. So I want to make that many short, that many So features. reading that
0: was a challenge for you. That this was, you took this as the challenge. That
1: shook me to yeah. my core because, I, and and I was thinking, what, how, what do you mean black men only make yeah. short films? And then as I started to look around, that's what I started to see. Hmm. And I thought, and then you can't be successful. Let me rephrase that. A short film is a calling card. So you can't always walk around with calling cards if you don't have anything to follow it up. Hmm. So, I can always have a key to a car, but I don't have a car. Yes. So, a feature, a, a, a calling card is seeing the car, or having a cutout of a car that you want to buy. Mm-hmm. This is the car, I can, I can drive this car. You're telling somebody I can drive this car. Versus a feature, and somebody says, oh, is that your car? You're like, yeah, that's
0: my car. Yeah. I got three of those. <laughs> and, so, and for the viewers, let's set it up. The difference between a short film and a feature film.
1: A short film is, is basically, you're telling a story within... Under forty minutes, okay. and in a short film, is just to hone your craft and to uh, allow people to see what you can do with actors, camera, and a story. Mm-hmm. Now, a feature film is a product that you're looking to take to the world to uh, cap- make a capital gain off of, okay. or you're taking a, you're taking to a uh, you're doing it for entertainment purpose that hopefully makes a profit.
0: Okay. When did you finally say to yourself, yes, I am a filmmaker?
1: I don't know. I don't even know if I still say that. (laughs) I remember after shooting a film called uh, Normal Behavior, I said to myself, I have a a great grasp of what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And from then on, I've had, because there's a, there's a switch that goes when you first start, you're nervous, and mm-hmm. you're always nervous, and people's like, oh, if you're not nervous, then you shouldn't be doing this. I, I don't believe that. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. once you get good at what you do, mm-hmm. you're not nervous anymore, you're anxious. You're yes. like, when can I get Different started, definition. when can I do it? Yeah. And so when I realized I got on that set and I knew exactly what I wanted, I knew exactly how I was gonna get it, that was the, the, the green light for me. We shoot films in 10 days uh, with a small crew and we've been doing that for the last three films and it's a science now for us. It's, a, it's, it's you know, this last film, I think we were moving so fast. We start, I shot Hiding in Plain Sight in 10 days. I shot Steps of Faith in eight days and then I shot A Man Called John in 10 days. Man. And some of that is out of necessity in the the other thing is I can get as much as I want on the screen. Mm-hmm. I'm not putting a lot of money in pockets, and and, mm-hmm. and and then when you put money in pockets, there's nothing to put on the screen. Man. The film looks horrible, and you're saying, oh, well, I shot it in 10 days. Yeah. But everybody made money, except for when you go see the film, everybody's like,
0: what is that? And the one you shot in 10 days, Hiding in Plain Sight, that's the one that won over 19 awards. Yes, yes. Let's talk about, you talked about putting money in pockets, things of that nature, alluding to Hollywood. Let's talk about your success and how you've been able to have the success being based in Dallas. One would think, man, it would be difficult to have Hollywood actors coming to Dallas to shoot a project.
1: The success of that, it's relationships. It really is relationships. Uh, I remember uh, running to a few people out in LA and they're like, man, what are y'all doing in Texas? Now that that's like an anthem, what are y'all doing in Texas, what are y'all doing in Texas? (laughs) I got a good friend who just shot Carter you know the the high school movie here, and and that's the same thing they're saying us, what are y'all doing in Texas, man? How, why are y'all? Texas is not a film. Yeah. You know, and then when I used to go and I used to leave the country, leave the state, and people were like, what do you do? I'm a filmmaker. In Texas, you're not a filmmaker in Texas. You know, I used to call agents. Oh, you don't make films in Texas. So I changed my number to a three one zero number because I heard that so much. Now it's like, okay, what? How, when? Do you, how long do you need them? When do you need them? Yeah. Can you do this? Can you do that? It's no longer that stigma.
0: So why will you ever make this leap to Hollywood or will you remain here in Dallas?
1: Probably Dallas. I'm I'm, I'm a homer. Uh, I got. A, I had a guy tell me last year, he says, man, if you moved to Atlanta, you'd already be blown up. And, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to have some people say, hey, why don't you come out to L.A.? I just now it's starting to where I have a manager out in L.A. I have a sales team out in LA. And, and so I think LA is just about signing deals. You just go out there to sign a deal and you shoot the movie wherever you want to shoot it.
0: Okay.
1: So could and then I think I'm not in it for, I'm not a dollar chaser. So yeah. I'm in it for the stories and I'm doing kingdom work. Yeah. So at the end of the day, I've already got my pay just waiting on me. I just got to get there.
0: So man, that's gonna that was gonna be my next question to you because you in your mission statement You mentioned that you are not just making films that entertain, but you're also looking to educate through film mm-hmm. Let's talk about that process. What exactly is it? What's the message? You're hoping folks will take away from your projects
1: No, I just think we have to be more socially conscious. I had uh, I don't even I don't even know how to say it but to say it I had. I, I did, recently I did a film and I was in this lady asked me to come and speak at her homeless shelter uh, for battered women and after I came in and I gave everybody a gift bag and we were doing all the parts, she says, how do you know to do this? It was a white lady. She said, how do you know to do this? I was like, how do I know to do what? She says, give back. I said, we've always been taught to give back. So that's what I want our films to do. I want you to watch my film and I hope that I'm not pointing a finger at you. I Mm -hmm. hope I'm just turning the mirror and as you walk past the mirror, you say, whoa, wait a minute. My stomach's out there that's what I'm hoping to do with my films is say we did a film on AIDS, we did a film on abuse, we did a film on homelessness, we've done films on faith. We've did now and then John's about the color barrier of how, you know, we can we think both religions are you know, the the African American church is kinda like the fighting temptations. You got people doing backflips down the middle of the aisle. And we think uh, white churches are so snubbish and, and tight and they don't move. And I just wanted to say, hey, no, let's look at him and let's laugh at our differences. I'm your new pastor. I'm not on board with this at all. And I am going to do everything in my power to get him voted out of here. I don't want to point the finger at you. I don't want to slap you in the face. All I want you to do is look. Mm -hmm. And if you look, you'll say, wow, is that me? Is that how I really look Mm -hmm. when I get angry? Is that how I look when I get violent? Is that how I look? Or is that how I look when I'm happy? I I want to look like that more.
0: Man, that's good stuff what would you be doing if you were not making films? I'd be a train conductor. Really? Why?
1: (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Carrying people to their destination or what? Carrying people to their destination, man. I'd be on that
0: (laughs) Yeah. So are you fascinated by the horn or are you fascinated by the ride?
1: Which one is it? By that big machine and all that power. Okay. Uh, I use an analogy of film. Film is like, for the director, it's like having a rope tied to the front of a train. Man. And you're having to pull that and there's a bunch of cars behind you, yes. and now some people might jump off and try to help you push, or they might be pulling. Yeah, it just depends on where you are. So, for trains, is trains are sexy, okay. and I think that bunch power and that machine, and just the uh, simplicity of the job. Okay. It's it's simple, but it still is very very. You have to be very focused in what you're doing.
0: Okay. In our show, we always, of course, want to leave folks with some principles of success. So let's talk about the three principles that you feel or you attribute to your success: uh,
1: hard work, dedication, and uh, mentors. I think mentors are yeah. you know learning the the craft. I, I tell people all the time, yeah, I'm self taught, but I think people who have went to school. Or have have been educated in this craft have a better advantage over me because they have people they can go to and say, hey, I quite don't understand this. Mm-hmm. Me, I got to go through five hundred books to find one statement. I had a mentor tell me one time. He says, Michael, I don't understand. You 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 don't have the you won't go buy a pair of shoes or design a designer pair of shoes, but you'll spend seventy five dollars on a book just to get one nugget out of it. So I think the the principles for success is definitely honing your craft to the minute. You need to know everything about your craft. Mm-hmm. And then, um, the, the success part doesn't come, What well, it depends on how you define success. Yeah. Success for me isn't about being rich in millions and millions of dollars. I actually treat success as, if somebody came up to me and said, I really enjoyed your film, your film blessed me, your film took me to a place that I hadn't been. Yeah. We went to a church one time, we showed a film hiding in plain sight to a bunch of young kids and adults. And we went back uh, the following week and they told us, or following month, and they told us the kids had already started their own homeless program without them even mentioning it. And they've been doing it ever since. That's success to me. Yes. And so if you're looking for financial success, you have to figure out what that is. I don't do commercials. I don't do, I don't do uh, music videos. I'm a storyteller. And so my road to success is, is different, but if you're trying to make this business a successful, I'm gonna feed my family, I'm gonna live the, the Hollywood, I'm gonna walk the red carpet, then you're gonna to have to do, you're gonna to have to find that with, and with that, what makes your craft, because it can't be one thing, it has to be tied to some other things. Mm-hmm. And so if you're in the film business and you wanna do commercials and you wanna do, Uh, music videos, all that's tied together in order to, because we know commercials make way more money than film Mm -hmm. at this level. Yes, yes. So, uh, and B, the number one thing is to be happy in what you do, Mm -hmm. love what you do. You know, that old rapper that says, I do this even if they didn't pay me. Mm -hmm. That's like a mantra on my wall. Yes. You know, know, because I already feel like I'm paid because the man upstairs has paid streets and mansions.
0: There you go. You may have just answered it somewhat there. I was The question was going to be, what do you want your um, legacy to be?
1: I want, I want people to say that the stories that he told weren't just to entertain, but they, they showed us, they, they really helped us to really take a look at our lives. And at the end of the day, when you look, that Michael wasn't just a filmmaker; he was a philanthropist. He was—he did more than just tell stories. And and we go back; we give back to the kids. I help in Fort Worth with the Rising Star program. Uh, we talk at uh, I, I talk at a lot of places because it is more about kingdom work for me. And my legacy is—is is that we touch people's lives here on earth. And, and saved a few
0: souls along the way. Thank you, yes. Thank you so much for Thank the what you, you do. Thank you. To learn more about Principles for Success and Chris Howell Communications, visit ChrisHowellOnline.com. Once there, access our media archive and find out about the other ways that Chris Howell Communications can inspire, impact, and inform.